Welcome to Dr. Chef's Modern 56 Podcast, a medical podcast for anyone ranging from middle school students to attending physicians, and for anyone interested in learning more about the medical field from all around the world. Welcome to this very exciting episode. Today we have Dr. O doing a Q&A. So with that, um, Dr. O. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Molly. She's asking if clubs like HOSA help like high school students or like college students. Yeah, so clubs like HOSA, um, at least from back when I participated in HOSA in high school, uh, were had chapters for both high school and college. Uh, as far as right now, I'm not really sure if they've uh, kept that same structure, but um, back when I was in HOSA, uh, college students were able to participate in leadership positions, and uh, they were able to help out high school students in various things from prepping for different state competitions or teaching students different medical uh, procedures. So uh, from what I'm aware of, HOSA still does have that structure, but uh, maybe just by region. So you'd have to follow up with your own particular HOSA reason to see what type of structure they have. Um, so on Instagram, we posted a Q&A for like today, cause a lot of like people that were like interested, they DM'd us and they were like, oh my God, I was, I was like going to like join this, but um, I don't have time today. So we just like did this Q&A on Instagram. So like a lot of people like texted a lot of questions. <laughs> so if that's okay with you. Okay, yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's why I, uh... When I messaged you earlier, I, I thought that the Q&A session might be a little bit more helpful so people could have more participation, not only during this session, but even after the session, if they weren't able to join, they can still DM me and I could do something like, you know, respond to them by DM or even post something in my uh, stories section, responding to a lot of the questions that I got. So um, I'm still good with this format. So any questions you have uh, right now, just feel free to shoot them. Okay, so um, one of the questions came from Jonathan. His name, uh, I mean, his name is Jonathan. Um, his question was, "How did you end up in medicine?" Uh, that that's a, actually a very deep and extensive question. Uh, but I would have to say that a lot of factors played into my decision to go into medicine. Uh, first and foremost, like I grew up in a household with people were in the medical field. My mom was a, uh, is an eye doctor. Uh, my stepdad is a psychiatrist at that when I was growing up. So I was surrounded by people who were in medicine and I saw firsthand what it meant to be a physician. And it gave me an idea that that was something that I really wanted to do uh, because I saw that it gave me uh, a career that could be something that I could make something into myself, you know, I wanted to be independent, I wanted to go into a career that I could kind of shape my own interest and um, be a leader, be influential to other people and also bring some sort of influence and um, service to other people. So uh, that's where it really started off at. Um, Then when I got to high school, uh, I got into HOSA and uh, within HOSA, for those of people don't, that don't know about HOSA, it's a Health Occupational Students of America. And it's an organization that brings together high school students uh, in an occupational setting and 
puts you in clinical settings and hospital settings, working with doctors, physicians, and surgeons, and you actually had a chance to shadow and even assist different healthcare practitioners uh, during uh, procedures. And um, you also had a chance to do, do participation in different statewide competitions, which was a lot of fun at that time. And um, even after that, uh, when you're in college, you could still participate with the, the organization. So uh, I feel like those small experiences with HOSA and also my upbringing uh, growing up kind of helped shape and build my um, passion and pursuit of going into medicine. And um, it's not, it wasn't an easy road, definitely. Um, I'd be lying to you if I said that I didn't have any doubts going along the way or, you know, there weren't any obstacles going along the way to get to where I am right now. But, you know, looking back, I, I don't regret anything I did uh, getting here. Um, it was all a process that I learned a lot. And um, I'm fortunate to be at this position because a lot of people don't make it. It's not for everybody, you know. Yeah, you, when you're going through everything along the way and you're getting tested step by step and it's a process it's very mentally draining and from the people who are outside of you they sometimes can't really understand it um, because they're not going through it but for those who go through it and you meet other people who have gone through their obstacles to get to where they are and their field in medicine um, you can kind of see uh, an understanding between each other, uh, but uh, you know it's uh, it's a it's a grind. But you know, for those of you who have a passion for you know putting in work and uh, being passionate about something and bringing influence to other people and medicine in general, then I mean, if you have those things and you have the talent and the the work ethic to to back it up, then you're going to definitely succeed. So. Um, I mean, that's kind of how I got into medicine and, um, you know, it's still a journey and I have a long way I want to go uh, along this journey and, um, have a lot of things in mind that I want to do. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, hope that answers your question. Wow. That's like very inspiring. Um, okay. So Michael Smith, he asked about the Instagram post, he, he was, like, asking about, um, let me, like, try to find the question. Um, okay, so he was asking about how you can use, like, knowledge and, like, experience in medicine to pursue, like, unconventional or other interests working for different companies or even entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, so that's, uh, that's actually, um, a, a question, um, and a topic that I came about on from a recent, uh, interview that I did because, uh, I'm, I'm often when I'm talking to younger, like pre-medical students or high school students interested in medicine, they seem to have a very rigid structure of what a doctor is and what a doctor can do once you become a doctor. And I mean, part of that's with society, they kind of try to put doctors in some sort of like cookie cutter box and like, this is what a doctor does. This is what you can do with the MD or DO. And, you know, that's all you can do where in actuality, you know, when you're a physician and you get that MD, you know, there's lots of opportunities for you to do different things, um, be your own, um, be in your be own boss and kind of shape your own career into different ways. Um, 
you know, especially right now in the social media age, you, for example, you're having a lot of doctors making a huge name for themselves, um, doing anything from, you know, promoting their own brand with fitness and health, um, pharmaceuticals, or even working in uh, corporate America with different uh, consultation organizations, being consultants, working for um, different companies, um, being a consultant for different um, maybe corporate groups for healthcare decisions. So it's not always just that you as a doctor, okay, I'm gonna go through medical school and I'm gonna go through residency. I'm just gonna um, hope and cross my fingers that somebody's gonna hire me and that's it. You know, I'm just gonna work in a hospital and work in a clinic and that's all I can do. You know, those are the options that I have. But no, like when you have this degree, you're going through all this, you know, all these different things with studies and um, doing research, uh, taking all these board exams and gaining all this knowledge and expertise in the clinical setting, in the hospital setting. You're doing a lot in that knowledge that you're accruing uh, can be translated into a lot of different experiences that are very helpful for a lot of other people in different areas. So, I mean, because if you really think about it, medicine encompasses so many different aspects of you know other fields whether it be sociology even policy right even law in some certain senses if you're working in the hospital setting within administration uh you can even think about nutrition right diet exercise uh mental health uh you know so it's it's an almost like an holistic and all-encompassing field that you get exposed to so many different things that you can use that knowledge and give it to other people in so many different ways. I mean, for example, I'll give you an example today. Like this morning, I had a patient, he was in the clinic and he was talking with me about him and his wife having a restaurant over here in the Michigan area um, and um, how they're now starting to promote their brand, having commercials for their restaurant. And he was asking me questions and wanting to invite me to have like some sort of, you know, formal consultation about how they can kind of shape their menu to be more uh, nutritious and, and be more marketable to a wider range of people. So, I mean, not a lot of people would actually think about that. Like, oh, I would never think that like a doctor would be sought out by a restaurant to, you know, look at their menu and kind of help do marketing, you know? So it's with your knowledge, you have, you have so many opportunities ahead of you. You, you don't want to like short, like, you know, you know, kind of put yourself at a short end. Um, if you have so many different interests that you want to do um, and uh, you feel like you can make something out of it, then, know think of different ways that you you can kind of put that into action um don't just limit yourself based upon what people have done in the past because at the end of the day if it's something that you're not doing and you're not passionate about it you're not going to go hard on it you know you're not going to put in your work to do what you need to do and at the end you're not going to be fulfilled with what you're doing but if you're you're doing something that um even if it's something that's part-time um as a physician that's kind of giving you some sort of fulfillment and purpose and uh, kind of what you've learned as a physician and bringing value to other people, then by all means, go ahead and do it. 
okay? Don't listen to whatever everybody else is saying. Oh, like nobody's done that before. That doesn't make any sense. Just, you know, if you feel passionate about it and you feel like you can make something out of it, you know, this is your life, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, when it's all said and done, you know, you're gonna be the one who's gonna have to answer like to yourself, like, hey, do I feel fulfilled with all the things that I've done within my career and what I've brought to other people and myself? So um, that's what I have to say about that. I hope that answered that question. Yeah, like um, Molly just said, she was like, wow, really great advice, Dr. O. Okay, so another question. Um, so it's how are you able to shape your purpose in medicine based on the things you learn and expanding your horizons? How am I t able to shape my purpose in medicine? Yes. Okay. Um, well, basically, I, I look at, you know, I, I have to take a step back and I have to look at myself, okay, what are my strengths as an individual and what are my interests? What are the things that I have a passion in that are somewhat related to medicine? And how can I, with those strengths and interests, bring that, uh, bring value to other people? Um, so I start off right there and then I look at, you know, what basically is out there in the market, okay? So like what's being done? Um, if there's something that I feel like I can fill a gap in or there's not really anybody doing, then okay, then that's definitely a good starting area because um, if you're, you know, one of the very few people, uh, few people to start doing something and um, it's, it's an area of need, then you're gonna make a huge headway and um, being a, a front runner in that field. So um, that's kind of what I do. I just try to look at myself and see what strengths I have, what interests I have, what I'm really passionate about. And I ask myself, okay, is this something that I would want to do um, long-term? And I, could I see myself doing long-term and being passionate about it? And would this be something that even if I weren't to be uh, getting any type of like high salary, just hypothetically, I mean, obviously this is a hypothetical you know, situation. I'm not telling anybody to not work for money. I'm, don't take this the wrong way, right? Um, but hypothetically, in some, I like you know, some situation where you just had to, for some sort of period of time, do this work for no pay. Would you enjoy doing this work for no pay? And would you still have passion for that work, even if you didn't have any type of pay for that work? Uh, or would you kind of just lose it and it would just be something that you just would dread, you would hate, like, oh, I don't even want to do this. This is like, I'm going through hell doing this. Like, I, I mean, I would never do that for, for free. So um, I ask myself those questions and, you know, I look at, you know, what's out there and then I kind of just brainstorm and, um, you know, look to see what resources I have disposable to me, whether that be through networking people around me, um, you know, my, whether it be my inner circle or different organizations I'm connected with. And then I, I start from there and I start slow and I plan and I build. So um, it's just a process that you have to go through. Uh, it's not something that's just gonna happen overnight. And I feel like 
that in itself can deter a lot of people because so many people, you know, it's human nature. We want uh, gratification instantly. We hate delayed gratification. We hate waiting for anything uh, um, in terms of uh, reward. But um, those who are, I guess, very attentive and observant on, um, you know, trends and history and watching how successful people have built themselves up, they'll realize that not everything, you know, in terms of success, especially comes instantly. And it's not like something that you're just going to automatically arrive at the finish line. It's going to be a process. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I do it. Um, and, um, but that's just a general outline of how I feel like people should approach it, but everybody's different. Um, and I hope that answered that question. Wow. Okay, so um, Javier, he asked, in what type of setting, either inpatient or outpatient care, does a family medicine doctor usually work the most in? Well, the family medicine uh, doctor it's not, is not really bound to either one. Uh, as a family medicine physician, you can work as an inpatient hospitalist. Uh, you can work as a uh, general practitioner in, in the clinic. You can work as a, a you know functional medicine physician. You can work as a uh, lifestyle medicine physician. You can work as a um, OB and women's health physician. You can work as a urgent care physician. You can even work as a pain management specialist, a sports medicine and outpatient orthopedic specialist, um, a um, a adolescent medicine specialist, right? Um, and emergency medicine physician, uh, even a pediatric uh, physician if you wanted to. So um, I think there's a misconception with family medicine uh, that when you go into family medicine, you're just going to be um, a general practitioner who goes into clinician and people will just kind of like type into Google, oh, you're a family physician, da 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 Oh, that's how you make? Oh, okay. Well, in actuality, that's not necessarily the case where, you know, a if you're a general practitioner working in a clinic, it's going to be different than if you're a family physician, um, you know, as a specialty working as an emergency medicine physician or as a sports medicine physician or even an OB women's health physician. So um, family medicine is a very broad, broad specialty. So you're not bound by working in either an outpatient or uh, inpatient setting. So. Uh, in terms of how, whether or not they generally work in the uh, inpatient or outpatient setting. Um, generally, it'll be more outpatient, uh, but at the same time, that outpatient setting could be, you know, anything from urgent care to OB women's health to sports medicine. Um, it's not necessarily just general medicine. I've seen a lot of family physicians even work in inpatient medicine. I have a really good friend right now. He's in hospitalist in Texas. Uh, he did family medicine, um, and I mean, it's it, it just varies. So it, it's all depending upon their own individual interest and what they want to do with their career. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's I guess that's a benefit that of family medicine that a lot of people don't really uh, realize. So, um, family physicians uh, in general can choose whatever outpatient or inpatient setting they want to within uh, the limits of obviously of course you can't go into doing some other specialties like 
uh, cardiology or uh, pulmonology that are more for internal medicine, but uh, in general, you do have a good amount of um, options within outpatient or inpatient settings. Wow, that's very inspiring. Like, I'm sure, like, everyone, like, got a new perspective to family medicine doctors. Okay, so, um, Natalie DM'd us, and she's asking, the, what is the three most important qualities that one should have if they are going to pursue medicine? Well, three most important qualities if you want to pursue medicine uh, being relentless, <laughs> um, obviously having the talent and, uh, you know, mental acumen to, to, to learn the information and being, um, well, that's what I already said, relentless and, you know, having the talent and also just being interpersonal as well. So those would be my top three. If you are a relentless person, right? You're a type of person that in the face of adversity, you don't give up very easily. Um, you're not going to be buckling down or crying whenever, you know, you have an obstacle ahead of you. Because in medicine, you're faced with very, very many, you know, challenges. Um, for example, you could be on an inpatient, um, you know, shift and you're working, you're working on call, you're admitting patients. You're about to put in a note and all of a sudden it's 4 a.m. You get, you get, you know, you get a, a page that one of your, your patients is coding and that, and that patient is, uh, you know, COVID positive. You have to rush down, you have to do a code and do CPR and um, make sh and resuscitate them. And then after that, go back, see your, all your other patients and, you know, complete your work for that day. So, you're going to be faced with a lot of challenges and you, you can't, you know, just um, buckle down when there's a, you know, maybe a case of like a patient not doing well or you not being able to uh, resuscitate a patient uh, for whatever reason. You know, sometimes you can't save everybody and that's a challenge in itself. So being relentless in the face of challenge, uh, being relentless on your journey to becoming a physician. Uh, because there's going to be many challenges, whether you're going through pre-med, medical school, and even residency, uh, to uh, you know facing all the things that you're going to be learning, um, all the different challenges of learning different skills, uh, being relentless and uh, not giving up on your your path and purpose. And secondly, having the talent and mental acumen to learn the knowledge. In medicine, there's so much knowledge that you need to learn it's ridiculous like even right now as a resident I, as a senior physician i know there's still a lot of you know medicine and that i learn every day even my program directors who have been practicing for so long are still learning so many th different things you know constantly because medicine is an ever-evolving specialty you're, you're a constant learner. It's not like other specialties and skills where you can just go in, you do the training, and those basic sets of skills and knowledge are pretty much for the same, you know, like same constantly. Like um, you may need to do some continuing education, but with medicine, it's an ever evolving and changing specialty because it's evidence-based. 
and sometimes the evidence changes. So, you know, maybe a physician who, you know, finished residency 20 years ago, um, you know, they could be doing uh, their own practice and treating a particular condition this way, but, you know, 20 years ago, how they treated CHF or diabetes is very different than how we tre are treating CHF and diabetes today. So, you know, being able to be a quick learner, obviously, uh, learning things quickly, being efficient in your learning, um, and being able to take your learning and uh, cultivating that into uh, a skill or, uh, you know, actually practicing that um, in the, the medical or clinical setting uh, is actually something that you're going to have to be able to do as a physician. And thirdly, you know, being a very, very good interpersonal um, and communicating um, physician. So um, I think there's a, a misconception with a lot of doctors, especially going in, okay, well, I'm just going to learn all this knowledge. I'm going to score super high on these, these tests and just, and they'll kill the board exams and I'm going to get into and, and, and medical school and I don't have to talk to anybody. I learn how to be a socially knowledgeable person. I now have to learn or cultural competency. Uh, I can just keep to my everything and that that in the case they they they're socially awkward. They just look awkward. They're they interacting well with the patients and they're getting constant complaints from the patients. Uh, patients are sometimes maybe even arguing with them. Uh, and you can see this on multiple levels. Uh, and, you know, that's because they don't have very good interpersonal skills. And while they, you know, they have the, the, the relentlessness, they have the, the talent and mental acumen to learn the information, but they're not very, very good people persons. Okay. So they, they don't know how to communicate. Um, and that in itself can show in other parts of the life um, outside of the clinic too. So uh, in my opinion, those are the top three qualities I would consider to be um, good qualities of a uh, great physician um, that I feel like as you're going along in your, your career that you need to work on and uh, recognize. And if you can cultivate those things and you know, build upon those skills, you're gonna be a great physician and it'll take you a long way in whatever you do. Um, wow, that's very inspiring to be honest. I'm sure like a lot of people that are like listening and will listen to this, um, they had like a lot of misconceptions, like being like told the truth instead of the false. Okay, so um, Michael Smith has a question about when you are treating a patient and detect a possible medical issue, how does referring to how does referring the patient to a specialist that deals with that specific medical issue work? Okay, uh, that's a very good question, Michael. Um, and this is something I actually do every day, um, particularly um, even when I'm on, in the clinic we have a patient, right? They come in and uh, the patient usually comes in with a specific complaint. So say for example, today 
I had a patient, he had um, complaint of low back pain, right? So uh, in the clinic, they come in and we take a history from that patient, right? We ask them their own personal medical history. We ask them, uh, most importantly, the history of their present illness, like what exactly happened for them to get that back pain, how long it's been going, um, any exacerbating factors or any alleviating factors, right? Have they taken any medications to alleviate any of the pain from those symptoms? Um, and um, have they had any previous treatment or injuries in that area? And we take that history of presenting illness and then we do a very, very thorough history of that patient. We ask about their past medical history. We ask about their allergies. We ask about their medications. We ask about their past surgeries, their past um, histories of any traumas that they've had, right? And then their family history and then their occupational history because sometimes their occupational history can be a very, very huge key into uh, their presentation of what's going on today. If they're a coal worker and they're coming in with a you know, chronic cough, obviously we're gonna think of maybe some sort of coal worker associated lung condition, okay, right? And um, obviously if they're um, a, um, a, for example, let's think about another condition, a football player, right? And uh, they're coming in with knee pain and they feel like their knee is unstable. Okay, obviously in football, we know about, you know, ACL and MCL tears, okay? So uh, obviously that'll help us direct uh, our physical exam towards doing certain tests. So we go through those histories and then we do a review of systems. We do a review of systems and those include asking questions from head to toe, if they're feeling any type of abnormality from head to toe. And then we do their vitals. And for example, if they're tachycardic or they have very, very high blood pressure with symptoms, okay, you know, say for example, they have a blood pressure of 200 over 120 and they're having a pounding headache. Obviously in that situation, that's a diagnosis of hypertensive emergency. And we want to, you know, obviously get them the EKG and refer them to an ER or if they're in the hospital, get cardiology on board and uh, see what's going on right there. So that's a case where we can use a specialist. So in um, family medicine um, or just um, primary care, we like to refer patients when uh, there's a possibility of very invasive work that needs to be done um, to treat that patient um, that can't be really be done uh, in a uh, general outpatient setting or um, a general uh, non-surgical setting. So, um, and that sometimes, you know, the specialist referrals can just be for uh, further evaluation and workup of imaging that's not really readily available in an you know, outpatient primary care setting or um, requires further interpretation that's more advanced, that's specialized within a different medical specialty. So um, we like to use uh, specialists in that area and it's very helpful, um, but obviously we don't like to over refer because um, there are certain things that we as general practitioners uh, even without a specialty or subspecialty should be able to manage. For example, 
certain things about from diabetes we should be able to manage if a person is in uh, something called diabetic ketoacidosis in the hospital setting we should be able to manage that um, if something if somebody's coming in for uh, COPD or an asthma exacerbation, we should be able to manage that. We shouldn't have to refer to a uh, pulmonology specialist. Uh, you know, if somebody's coming in for just general, you know, chest pain, but their blood pressure really isn't that high, we can we can look at that and work that up and evaluate that, right? Um, but you know, if it's something on a general level that we don't really need, you know, very many invasive exams or invasive imaging. Um, as a primary care specialist, we'll try to take care of that on our own. But if it's something that needs to be worked up on a uh, you know, more deeper and invasive level that needs to be followed up with, then refer those out to specialists. So, um, but um, sometimes it can be a little bit different if you're working in a rural setting uh, because rural physicians uh, can be uh, sometimes the only physicians within a hundred mile radius and they're the only physicians in that town and they're doing lots of things for the patients in that town so they might be um you know jacks of all trades doing anything from deliveries to um you know minimally evasive uh, surgeries so um, it also can be dependent upon um where the physician is in terms of um how many resources that they have so um, I hope that answers that question. Wow, that just like opened my mind and for like, I'm sure to like everyone that like didn't have like an idea of what, how the process was. Okay, so um, the next question is, what do you think is the biggest challenge in healthcare right now? And also thank you, Dr. O for your time. Uh, no problem. Biggest challenge in healthcare. Um, I would still have to say healthcare access is still the biggest challenge. Healthcare access and also healthcare follow-up uh, combined. I mean, people are obviously you know access has gone up within you know recent years, but um, for example, in places like here in Detroit, people are still having issues with access to healthcare, not necessarily because of uh, you know they don't they're not really in, insured but um over here you know there's no public transportation so a lot of times people can't even make it to their appointments because you don't have transportation or um they can't um get certain medications that they need because you know they maybe their insurance may not cover it or they can't afford it um or um you know they weren't able to follow up with an appointment because uh, they couldn't have uh access to transportation so they end up in the emergency room so and that kind of just sends like a patients into a continuous cycle of going into the emergency room to get treated and not getting proper uh, treatment with the you know primary care specialists and getting proper referrals for specialists to follow up with so i, I would still say those are still some of the biggest challenges in the healthcare field today um, that I at least see over here and working in a, in a city um, and in my medical training, um, even working from places like Miami to um, New York to DC, Baltimore, uh, even to Texas. So um, it's still something that needs to be worked on. Um, you know, doctors are now trying to fill in the gap by 
doing things like telehealth. We've introduced that into our clinic. So we do telehealth visits with patients. We can call in and do something like this, like on a Zoom session. So if it's something that, you know, the patient uh, can address with us over, uh, you know, video chat that doesn't need to be examined, we can, you know, talk with them and do consultations with them and then put in the orders in their pharmacy. Uh, so that's also trying to help fill in a gap for the lack of access. And, uh, but I hope, uh, you know, things like uh, can get a little bit better in the future because um, that's still a challenge here in, uh, in the medical field. Okay, so um, we don't want to take too much time for you, Dr. O, for today. So this is the last question from Elise. She's asking, what was the biggest challenge you faced and how did you overcome it? Biggest challenge I faced and how did I overcome it? That's a good one. Biggest challenge in becoming a physician or just in general? Um, I th we'll just go with physician. Physician, okay. That's a good question. Hmm. I would definitely have to say the biggest challenge that I faced in becoming a physician was um, literally preparing to be a physician after you, um, after I graduated from medical school, because uh, now you're, you know, you're, you go from student to full-on practitioner uh, with all these different responsibilities and you're independent and um, you're kind of your own guide. It's no longer you being responsible uh, or you being um, kind of guided by, you know, other teachers or seniors. Uh, you're responsible for your own patients and you make the clinical decisions uh, based upon your own judgment. So, I mean, while I, you know, I'm, I'm still on the path and, you know, it's something that's become more uh, simple for me and it's, I'm getting better at it every day, but I would say initially, and this can be said by, you know, multiple people I've talked to, you know, who started uh, their residencies and, or became doctors. Um, that's definitely one of the biggest challenges uh, that, you know, you're kind of being in that position to um, take care of people where before you're not really um, kind of put into that position um, of uh, responsibility. So taking on that responsibility was definitely a challenge. Um, it's not necessarily the knowledge that was, you know, you're having to learn to implement, but it's like a kind of balancing and um, putting all those things together and shaping things into a way that work for you as a physician. So I would definitely have to say that's my biggest challenge. I know that's a, it's a really good question. So I've never been asked that before. So, uh, you know, kudos to whoever asked that question. Wow, that was like a really great question, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. Thank you so, so much, Dr. O. And we, once again, we don't want to take that much time from you. So just thank you. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, just have a wonderful day. And everybody, we hope that you enjoyed this because we really did enjoy this and having Dr. O 
as our guest speaker right now answering the questions that you had. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I mean, it's a pleasure being on here again. Um, I enjoy talking to uh, young medical professionals and giving them advice that I wish I knew uh, when I was younger. But, um, you know, I really appreciate coming out here. And um, thank you for inviting me again. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to DM me and I'll try to get back to you. And it could be, you know, anything from what we talked about tonight or anything else that you have any other questions about professionally or school-wise, I, I can uh, be happy to happy uh, to answer those questions. So once again, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. O. And his Instagram is at dr.o um, slash md. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you.